Hello, I'm Alexia, and let me help you to take the fear out of birth with a mix of real-life positive birth stories and birthing experts sharing their wisdom. I'll also be sharing techniques for getting into the fearless birthing mindset. And join the Fearless Mumship community for bonus podcast episodes, access to free birth preparation downloads, and loads more stuff to help you to prepare for a positive birth. Join today at fearfreechildbirth.com. Hello and welcome back to the Fear Free Childbirth Podcast. This is me, your host, Alexia Leachman. Thank you so much for joining me today. Now, on today's show, I've got, a, this is a really, really important episode. I'm going to be talking about optimal cord clamping. Today on the show, I'm going to be chatting to Amanda Burley. Now, Amanda Burley is a UK midwife and she has been campaigning for optimal cord clamping or her campaign, which is known as Wait for White, uh, to make sure that we do not cut the cord earlier than is necessary. Now, there's loads of information and research about this, and there's really solid evidence as to why you should be not cutting the cord straight away. Unfortunately, many, many midwives worldwide still don't know this, and this is a practice that is continuing. And once you find out why you should not be cutting the cord straight away, you will absolutely be wanting to insist with your healthcare team not to do it. So today's chat is really to help you to better understand why you need to wait for white and wait for the cord to have all the blood transferred from the placenta to the baby before you cut the cord. Now, you need to wait up to four to five minutes in an ideal world. But in today's chat, Amanda's going to share with you exactly why you need to wait that long if you need to cut it sooner, how soon you can bring that forward to, what other considerations you need to take into account. So it's quite a meaty episode, but you know what? It's really inspiring. It's really informing. But also one thing that really comes across really strongly in this is the only way that we can bring about change among the healthcare professionals is for us as parents-to-be, as mothers, as pregnant women, to demand that they listen to our requests around cord clamping because some hospitals are still dragging their feet on this. And this is a real, real health issue. This is something that you are really going to want to take into account for your baby's long-term health. So listen up. You might want to make notes. The podcast show notes does include references. She does talk to a lot about research and some of the evidence that's out there. So I do include references within the podcast show notes. So are you ready? Are you ready to listen to Amanda Burley talking all about optimal cord clamping. Now, before I do hand over, I just want to say the sound quality on today's episode isn't brilliant because we had a bit of a bad line, me and Amanda, but we'd been trying to put a chat in for at least six months. And so I didn't want to risk not running this chat because it is so important. And otherwise it would have been another six months at least before I got to speak to her. And also my microphone didn't come on. So you've got me listening like a very faint microphone in the background. So, but park all that because the information that she shares is utter gold. Okay, over to the chat. Well, hello, Amanda, and welcome to the Fear Free Childbirth podcast. Thank you for joining me today. It's my pleasure, Alexia. Thank you for inviting me. Now, Amanda, you are a midwife, but please, and we're going to talk about some really great stuff, specifically cord clamping, which I know a lot of expectant mums need to hear more about. But before we go into all that, can you tell us a little bit more about who you are? I've been a midwife for 28 years. Before that, I was a registered nurse, and I've worked in all the clinical areas in midwifery. Um, about 10 years ago, I realised that there was a, we were practising immediate cord clamping, which wasn't evidence-based practice. And since then, I've been setting about changing um, changing that practice. 
So what is it that first alerted you to the cord clamping thing then? What is it that kind of sparked your interest or your curiosity into that as to why it needed to be changed? I've been practising as a midwife for 16 years and I'm actually a mother of two boys who are now 22 and 19. Uh, both of them have attention deficit disorder and I'm not saying that uh, immediate cord clumping causes attention deficit disorder at all. It runs in the family. What that did do is put me in contact with school teachers and other caregivers who expressed their concern that so many children have behavioural problems, learning problems and other difficulties, diabetes, asthma, allergies. Um, I'd also noticed the same um, with my work colleagues. There were six job shares. Uh, we shared three jobs between us. We had 14 children, eight boys, and six of them had learning problems. And one is, only one of those could be attributed to a chromosomal defect. So I started looking at different things to see if there was a common denominator. Um, and that included looking at um, coffee, um, whether it was caffeine or alcohol, whether it's cigarettes or whether it was um, sugar, or whether it was just things, simple things that we were doing at work, as in hippie scrub that we used for scrubbing up potatoes. And I couldn't find anything, but I'd looked over a long time. I extended that to looking at lead in water, um, fertiliser in the fields around us. Uh, I did notice that it was mainly boys, and it did affect a lot of my friends' children as well. And then one night, I just suddenly had a brainwave, because I reflected on our own practice as midwives, and realised that we'd been taught to clamp and cut the cord immediately. And I began to wonder if there was any evidence behind that. When I got onto the internet and tried to examine the evidence, it became very quickly apparent that there wasn't any evidence to support immediate core clamping at all. It was just something that we'd done and continued to do, and there's never been any evidence, and there still isn't any evidence to support immediate core clamping. Um, immediate core clamping deprives the baby of 30% of the blood volume. It was introduced to... Uh, when octotoxic drugs came in, to, uh, which were administered to the mother to prevent postpartum hemorrhage and reduce maternal mortality, which did work, but at the time nobody had ever considered the effect on the baby. And to this day, they still, well, until 16 years ago, they hadn't thought about the effect on the baby. So there's no evidence at all to support immediate cord clamping. Is there any, do we know why this was started at all? Like, is there any reason why this was, other than the oxytocin drug, is there anything else that, that you know that? Why are we doing this? Third stage of labour for the mother is the most considered the most dangerous because obviously that's the time that they can bleed, they can have the hemorrhage. Um, and at the, uh, 50, 60 years ago, women were dying of postpartum hemorrhage, particularly in the home, uh, because of the lack of medical attention. And the oxytocin drug shuts down the placenta, uh, it, shuts down, it makes the uterus contract, which shuts down the placenta and uh, shortens the third stage of labour. So it seemed like a really good idea at the time. But even in the books, it was documented that the baby lost a third of their blood. And because babies were delivered, um, they cried, it didn't seem to have any, it, it didn't seem to be a noticeable effect on the, on the child. And that's why it's gone on for such a long time. I think the accumulation, because of course now we're actually clamping and cutting the cords of mums who had their cords clamped and cut, maybe there's an accumulative effect, which isn't evidence-based. But looking at the uh, problems that we have globally at the moment, they're blamed on other things, um, environmental factors, but looking at the whole picture, this could play a part as well. Mm. Uh, recent, recent research is showing that immediate cold clumping does cause iron deficiency anemia, and four years studies of the same children have shown that the male children have decreased um, fine motor and social skills, um, which is uh, extremely significant because that impacts on public health, it impacts on 
child mental health. Um, there are big studies now going on. There's a big one going on in Nepal uh, by Ulla Anderson. And talk about his research. It was his research that I've just quoted to see the long-term effects of delay core, uh, immediate core clumping. So for a mum who's uh, pregnant, who's thinking about writing a birth plan and wants to put a note in her birth plan around this, what are the things that she needs to kind of bear in mind or, or, or specifically write out on her birth plan so that her wish, so that, you know, she's doing the best she can for her baby based on some of the things that you've mentioned? In 2005, when I first identified this, um, along with quite a few other people, but uh, I seem to have been a bit of the loudest, um, all the guidelines actually stated that immediate core clamping should be done and all the guidelines now have changed um, World Health Organization then the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists Royal College of Midwives and now NICE recommend delayed core clamping for at least a minute the problem we have is that practice is sketchy and some hospitals are well on board the hospital where I work is very um, on board with delayed core clamping even at cesarean sections but you have also other hospitals that haven't really looked at their guidance or practice and don't think it's significant so it's important for all parents to be well versed in delay core clamping and the benefits uh, and what I would say to parents is look at the evidence um, really it's not rocket science you know it's very easy to take on board that the, when the baby's born that the cord should be left to complete its job mm. anything before that is intervening it's, it's an intervention that really needs consent from the parents and informed choice and consent from the parents so any parent needs to write in their, in their birth plan that they would like delayed core clamping. NICE recommend one minute to five minutes. I think in the absence of complications, the baby, the, the cord should be left until it's finished its job, which is a campaign that we're doing, which is called Wait for White. The cord, when it's first, but the baby's firstborn, is full of blood, and the blood is transferred to the baby. So the baby and the placenta are, are full of one, their, their one circuit. Um, and when the baby's delivered and using their own lungs, the blood the transfusion to the baby is finely tuned and when the baby's out crying pink and has transited to outer uterine life the cord will it will finish pulsating and become white and theoretically you could cut through the cord without actually clamping it but i wouldn't recommend that but it's just that it's finished the process and if you think from conception to birth is a miracle anything that intervenes before that process is finished is an intervention and unless they the caregiver thinks that's necessary for resuscitation, for example. Uh, the cord should be left alone. And I would ask the mother um, to ensure that the, the father knows, or, the, or not the father, the birth partner the knows um, as well and has instructions. Because in some cases I've had in the past or I've heard that, that the cord can be clamped. As the person that's with the mother um, intervenes, their wishes not will be, will be, can be ignored. A father once put his hands over the cord to stop the midwife actually cutting and clamping the cord. And then three years later, they delivered a baby at the same hospital and they were doing delayed cord clamping. So we're in a time of change. It will come. But because we don't know how many people are delaying cord clamping, which hospitals are delaying and which aren't, every parent needs to know about this. Mm. And so is this, a, is this you, you're speaking about some hospitals that still aren't and I'm assuming that you're meaning the UK I'm just wondering on a global perspective whether for example in the US for example or in Australia or Canada this this campaign has reached them and whether this is a global thing that's being recognized it is a global thing we're all fighting for the same cause and I'm part of a global network I think um, the UK are leading the way really because we do have guidelines now that actually state that the cause should be left for at least a minute um, 
other other countries are well up on this. You know, Norway and Sweden, they have some very active people over there. Australia have very active midwives, but the guidelines actually still say immediate cold clamping. So unless you go to a place where they are practicing delayed cold clamping, you are more likely in America and um, Australia to get immediate cold clamping. Right, okay. Um, so every, everybody needs to know about this. And there is a global, there's a global movement. We all work together to try and get this changed. Um, but it is very, very difficult. I've been working at this for 11 years and trying to implement change is very, very difficult. And we're getting there, but we're not quite there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're a lot further on than a lot of countries, particularly the Australian midwives have a big, they have a big fight on their hands. So in order to bring about the change, I, I guess one of the, the, the best ways we can do that is really to empower parents with the knowledge and the information uh, so that they can demand that from their midwives. Parents are actually the biggest change agents. And when I first identified this, I went to all the managers and the doctors and said about it. And they said, well, it's not particularly important. And you need evidence to change practice. You, I was told that I had um, an interesting theory that had no scientific evidence to back it up. And when I said, well, actually, you could turn that around and say that what we're doing actually has no evidence to back it up. It was very difficult because people don't... They, it, I think the most dangerous phrase is that we've always done it that way. Uh, why change? We've always done it that way. And trying to get people to change, particularly when the babies have been crying and they come out and use the lungs. And some people actually thought that the baby had to have the cord cut so that the lungs would work, which is completely bonkers. I went to all the managers and asked them to change and it became quickly apparent that this wasn't going to work. So I went to work as a community midwife and began empowering parents. Uh, and even though I got sick of the sound of my own voice, I still continued to give one-to-one informed choice to all parents. And it was actually the parents demanding this for the children that have been the biggest change agents. And the RCM actually um, acknowledged parents' role in changing it because it's demand. And all parents want what's best for their children. All parents also expect that caregivers are going to do the best for their children and are quite shocked that when they find that we're actually doing something that is um, where they're not getting informed choice, um, and it's an intervention and then not given informed consent. So it is quite tricky ground. So uh, the Wait for White campaign, and that's a really easy thing to remember. And certainly I'm just wondering whether you, you say it's a minimum of one minute that's recommended, but it could be up to five minutes. And so waiting for white is really probably the best way of judging the time that we need to leave the cord alone. Is that fair to say? It is. Diane Farrow did some um, research in 2010, as far back as 2010, she's from Bradford, and um, it shows that if you leave the cord intact on the baby, the babies gain up to 214 grams, which is nearly seven, seven ounces. Uh, they did some more research that showed that the, most of the placental transfusion is over by two and a half minutes. So even, and quite a lot of that transfusion is over by one minute. Um, it's not completed, um, but even if your baby... Um, you know, if, they do, if the baby needs resuscitating, the baby should be getting at least one minute um, before the cord's cut. The transfusion continues over, like I say, the, trans, the, the, um, the transition from intrauterine to outer-uterine life is fine, I feel is finely tuned. So the, the, the placenta and the baby are working together um, for that baby to become um, used to that life outside, breathing, pink, crying vigorously, and then the cord will shut down. In most of the cases, um, the cord completes pulsation by about five minutes. Sometimes it can be longer, and even up to an hour. And But when the baby's crying and it's vigorous and it's uh, pink, if the cord was still pulsating, I think by then, you know, there's no harm to be done 
them by clamping and cutting the cord, and that is in rare incidences. Most of them finish the job after about five minutes. So is there anything else around cord clamping that, that parents need to know that they probably don't know that you'd like to share? There's, there's two different ways of managing the third stage of labour, which is why the oxytocin drug came in. One is active management of the third stage where the mother is offered an oxytocin drug which will help shut down the placenta. It helps shut down the placenta and shorten the third stage of labour and is recommended. We are moving from active management of the third stage to physiological third stage, management of the third stage where the placenta is allowed to deliver on its own without any intervention, without any oxytocin drugs. Practice, well, certainly in my practice for the first 16 years, I never saw a physiological third stage of labour. Um, but they are becoming more common and um, the RCM recommends that midwives become competent in active management of the third stage with the oxytocin drug and physiological where you leave it. Oxytocin drugs are very important with women who are at risk, you know, so for example they've had, um, they've got a twin delivery or a large baby or they've had a long labour um, because there's a, an increase in the risk of having a postpartum hemorrhage. Any woman who has active management or physiological management can have delayed cord clamping. Mm. Um, the oxytocin drug, nice to recommend that the oxytocin drug is given um, immediately after delivery and then the percentage delivered will be um, cord is clamped within one to five minutes. Some midwives will actually delay the oxytocin drug um, for a few minutes and then leave it a couple of minutes, take two to three minutes to transfer to the baby and then we'll clamp and cut. Nice say that there is a, it doesn't matter when the oxytocin drug is given, you know, you can give it immediately and then clamp and cut for five minutes, whereas New Zealand actually states that they prefer that the cord is clamped and cut before the oxytocin is given because we haven't actually got any evidence to say that it trans the transfer to the baby um, doesn't cause any harm. Mm. I think that the, the risk is very small um, and nice obviously back that one up. But I think that if you give an oxytocin drug, it causes a contraction of the uterus uh, which is really quite powerful and I think that it upsets the transition between the placenta and the baby. So if there's low risk and there's no risk, I my personal practice is to delay giving the oxytocin drug until the cord has stopped pulsating um, and then to give, the, give the injection, clamp and cut and then deliver the placenta. Mm. Um, so there are variations in practice. Bath uh, midwifery unit actually delay cord clamping and um, delay giving the oxytocin drug until after the cord has stopped pulsating and they've realised that their third stage, physiological third stage has gone up considerably because the percentage, if the cord has stopped pulsating the percentage is already on its way mm. um, and it also, their research also states that giving the oxytocin drug it doesn't matter when the timing is um, it doesn't affect the incidence of the postpartum hemorrhage so it is safe to delay. So basically once you've had your baby, you've waited for the cord to do its job, it's gone white then the cord can be clamped and cut. And then if the placenta isn't making any sign like it's coming out, or you, you want to maybe speed that section up, then, then you can have the injection that will start bringing the placenta out. And so that would be the, the order for a mum to do it, if that's what she wanted to do. It, it, it's, a tricky, it's a tricky situation because there's so many variations in practice and your midwives are practicing what they, they feel is right. Personally, nice say that you can have the injection and uh, clamp and have the injection immediately and clamp and cut one between one and five minutes which is is fine i personally would deliver the baby put the baby skin to skin make sure that they're crying leave the cord intact then go and wash my hands or whatever after a couple of minutes if if the mother wants active management give the injection wait a couple of minutes for the cord to clamp and, uh, and clamp and cut the cord 
by then you've usually got five minutes of um, five minutes time have gone anyway yeah. and the babies that you know that that baby's got the full transfusion they're crying vigorously they're nice and pink they're skin to skin and usually by then the cold stop pulsating anyway so mm -hmm. it's uh, yeah. you know it's, it's in your practice based on a, a holistic experience at the time the midwife is looking at the mother and looking at the baby so there's little variations in practice so if you you know if the baby's delivered and you think that the mother's at risk of bleeding you might want to give the injection a little bit earlier it's about talking to the parents about what they want as well mm. if there's no risk baby skin to skin you might want to hold off for a bit longer mm. it's, it's about, about informed choice and is it is it worth then uh, mothers talking to their midwife their community midwives in advance of the birth to sort of understand what their their, their midwife's perspectives are on this to try and get a, a better understanding is that is that something that's worth doing it's certainly worth doing. Parents should be getting informed consent uh, or information about that antenatally. Unfortunately, at the moment, a lot of hospitals are still um, doing immediate core clamping. They can ask their midwife, but again, because of change, a lot of midwives will understand the physiology around this. Some may just say, we'll see what happens to go when you go to the hospital. But I would um, recommend that all parents become au fait in this and read up the research themselves and look at the website. Uh, and see what other hospitals, are, what the hospitals are doing, or what people recommend. And it's becoming more, it's becoming more common now. Yeah. Um, there was an article in the Mail a couple of weeks ago because parents were. Have, I do get parents writing to me to say that they've had their wishes ignored, or uh, hospitals say that babies get too jaundiced, or they get polycythemia if the cord's left. This is not backed up by evidence. You know, there's no evidence to suggest that. It's just obstacles that are put in the way of change. It's we're in a, a strange transition and people resist uh, and we are coming through that but that's why parents need to know and, and do their own research mm. and is there anything that parents can do i mean you know heaven forbid that they put that in their in their desires and wishes and it's ignored uh, is there anything that parents can do post-birth to try and give back to the baby what the baby might have missed out on or is it too late if they've not done that too late is it it's it is too late, really. I mean, like I said before, most babies are absolutely fine. You know, obviously, we would have picked up on this a lot quicker than 60 years if we were causing huge damage. Um, mm. But um, uh, And the other thing is some babies need resuscitation. You know, we have, um, if a baby comes out and they're not breathing, you have to choose between giving them delayed cold clamping or resuscitation. Resuscitation must come first. Saying that, we, we, we realised um, in 2010 that one of the obstacles would be the choice between delayed cold clamping and resuscitating the baby. And along with a group of consultants, we devised um, a trolley, a resuscitation trolley, which is a small resuscitation trolley that can go bedside so that yeah, the baby actually gets both, that the baby can be resuscitated with the cord intact. And some hospitals are using those really um, effectively. There's been a big study in San Diego where... Um, a consultant down there so that they've they've helped save babies' lives with this trolley. Um, the thing with delayed core clamping is the babies that benefit most from delayed core clamping or optimal core clamping are the premature babies or the compromised babies. Premature babies, um, a midwife called Judith Mercer in the United States has done loads of research and it shows that premature babies have decreased um, blood transfusion, intraventricular hemorrhage, uh, necrotizing colitis, uh, cerebral palsy, uh, anemia from having delayed or optimal core clamping. There's lots and lots of studies that identify the benefits of fem babies. Unfortunately, because of the 
resuscitated because they, they're the babies that are most likely to need resuscitating. They are the babies that are most likely to get immediate cord clamping. Mm. Um, so we are trying to move away from immediate cord, you know, having that choice. Whereas if you use a bedside the baby can get at least a minute or two minutes of both delayed cord clamping whilst the initial resuscitation is going on. So basically the, the challenge around resuscitation okay. and, and cord clamping is, 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 a, is a physical one by enabling the baby to be resuscitated in a, in a yeah. manner that is, keeps the baby close to mother. It's not, a, it's not anything else. It's just a physical, practical thing. It is because what happens at the moment if people haven't got the basics of the livestock trolley is that they, um, they clamp and cut immediately to take the baby to a resuscitator. Ideally... The baby should be assessed at the bedside. You know, you, you spend the first 30 seconds either, um, examining the baby and assessing the baby, followed by um, five rescue breaths, which could mean that the baby would get at least 30, 30 seconds of delayed core clamping, which again is part of, it's quite a substantial transfusion mm. before the baby is just transferred to the, the big resuscitators. Mm. But what happens now is they anticipate a baby needs resuscitating and they clamp and cut immediately to take the baby over. People need to be aware that just delaying for 30 seconds makes a phenomenal difference to the babies. And I've heard about cord donation, but I I don't fully understand that too much. Would you mind telling me a little bit more about what cord donation is? Cord donation, there's companies in the UK who, well, across the world, actually, it's really, really big business, who want the stem cells from the umbilical cord. Because we've been doing immediate cord clamping for such a long time, and guidance from NICE has only changed in 2014, they advertise for the stem cells and they said that it's a waste product, which in the past is true. It has been a waste product, but we now know that the baby needs that blood and it's not a waste product. So they advertise that they would like the baby's stem cells and that they, um, a typical advertisement from one of the companies would say, save life, give life twice in one day. Uh, your baby's umbilical cord cells um, could save somebody's life. And they encourage parents to donate their baby's blood I said before, immediate cord clamping deprives the baby of approximately 30% of their intended blood volume, which consists of, well, we're not quite sure exactly what it consists of, um, but we do know that it consists of millions of stem cells, uh, red blood cells, white blood cells, and goodness knows what else. The cord blood companies want their hands on the blood so that they can use it for research or match for somebody else. You know, you get advertisements for children who want life-saving stem cells. What parents don't realise is they're actually signing up to um, give this blood because it's an altruistic offer of giving the baby's blood to save somebody's life or for research. But what they don't realise is actually that they're giving away to, they're up to 30% of the baby's blood volume. Mm. And because of the research that's coming out now that's showing that particularly male babies at the age of four have immediate cord clamping and have got decreased fine motor and social skills, and we do not know what the long-term effects is, parents that are donating the cord blood are not getting fully informed choice. So basically what you're saying is when we, they sign up to that, they're giving away blood that actually should would be much better in their own child and they're depriving their yes. own child of something and they really shouldn't be signing up for those kind of schemes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, a lot of the companies say that you can store your own baby's own stem cells in case they can be, become poorly in later life. My argument is that if the baby's actually got the stem cells inside them, they're much less likely to be unwell later on in life. There are companies in the UK that do do both. If somebody wants to do delayed core clamping or even optimal core clamping, which is the wait for white, um, there are companies who will are happy to do that and take what blood is left in the placenta. And I go through my website if anybody asks me about that. So you can do both. If you want to do both, you can. Okay. But clearly, um, immediate core clamping or clamping after a minute 
is not advisable. The baby needs at least two minutes. Yeah. Um, I know in Australia where they haven't got the guidance to say one minute, uh, babies are getting immediate core clumping there and um, our parents are giving away at least 30% of the baby's blood volume without actually getting the informed. If they were given informed choice and all the information i don't think they would be signing up to it well this is a fascinating topic that i think and certainly i I wasn't very clear on a lot of the detail that you shared today when i was pregnant my little one turns two in a a short while so this is you know it just shows that there's a lot of there's a lot more for parents to learn and it is also new you're right you know in a big period of change is there anything else before we go that that you think needs to be said that parents need to know about this that we haven't talked about yet because we don't want to be scaremongering, you know. Nice guidance say that all babies, um, babies should get at least one minute unless the heart rate is going really, really slowly and then, of course, resuscitation comes in. But it does mean that most babies should be getting delayed core clamping, particularly if the lifestyle trolley comes in. And I have to say that I have no financial interest in that whatsoever um, because it's so important. Um, and a lot of mums are having um, cesarean sections, elective cesarean sections, it is perfectly acceptable for a baby to have delayed core clamping with cesarean sections. A lot of hospitals are dragging their feet because of fear and because of obviously the, the worry in that period when the baby comes out. If you think that the placenta is actually transferring oxygen to the baby whilst it's intact, that's a resuscitative measure in itself. Mm. Um, but I advise a lot of parents to look at the research, take the research, research in Judith Mercer does a fantastic article called uh, rethinking placental transfusion if parents can get their hands on that take it into the hospital and give it to the doctors it's like um everything you needed to know about delayed core clamping you that the parents are actually changing practice in that hospital because if they insist that they have delayed core clamping at the cesarean section and you've got a team of people in the theater who sit there and watch this baby deliver uh, deliver the baby put the baby onto the woman's um legs and watch this baby transit from intrauterine to extrauterine life and pink up, they can quite often change practice for all those doctors or people that are in the room. Is there a petition that they can sign as well to sort of come together collectively and, and make a big noise? Are you, You're very active and you're a campaigner for this. Is there any way that you would like parents to support you? What could they do to help you and your cause to help you um, bring about change even quicker than you already are? There was. I did do a petition in 2011, I think, because NICE said that they wouldn't consider changing the guidance earlier, and I did get 5,500 people to sign a petition from 44 different country, over 44 different countries, and that was to ask NICE to up their guidance. Mm. The fact that NICE has up their guidance means that other hospitals will be, sorry, other countries will be looking at the NICE guidance and will be following suit. So it's tell your friends in different countries, um, pointing them to the, the evidence, and I worked in, as a community midwife, I worked in an area where we had a lot of women from um, Eastern European and they transferred their knowledge to people in Eastern European areas. Uh, I've worked in Africa, South Africa, Kenya and South Africa. And South Africa, we imported bad practice, really, exported bad practice because we exported management of the third stage of labour, but we also exported immediate core clamping. And going out there and training the midwives who work in dreadful circumstances there might be one midwife in a home or a hospital that if a baby comes out um to leave the cord intact because in, in effect they were doing immediate core clamping because that's how they've been trained and they were actually cutting off their body the the percentages that will, will resuscitate the baby in most cases the baby will be resuscitated by the placenta and the first thing they were doing when the baby was born was clamping and cutting the cord so in effect they were cutting off their body um 
like I say, this isn't, it's not rocket science. It's just practice that's been handed down that people have just done because they've been taught it and really looking at it, reflecting on your practice. Um, this isn't rocket science and it needs to change globally, worldwide, because of the damage that we've done. Uh, we may look back in, in years to come and think, what on earth were we thinking about? Well, I'm sure we will. I think that anyway. Amanda, thank you so much for sharing all this on, uh, on, on, on a matter that's clearly very, very dear to your heart. Thank you once again for joining me on the Fear Free Childbirth podcast. Now, is there anywhere, any links that you'd like to direct people to, maybe your website or anything where they think that would be worth them going to your Facebook page or anything like that that you'd like to share with you? We've got the Facebook page, which is um, Optimal Core Clumping Wait for White. Um, uh, there's a, a student midwife called Hannah Tizard who was absolutely fantastic and she developed some stickers to go on the notes uh, that give, give informed well it, is, it gives the evidence they give the evidence and you can put those on your antenatal notes to say that you request optimal delay core clamping for at least five minutes uh, she's done fantastic work which has also been recognized by NICE and she has a website which is www.bloodtobaby.com so that's blood to baby as in one word um, where the resources you can get resources um, it's more of an educational tool as well because she gives the information but anywhere in the world can get, uh, apply for these resources and they can be shipped out free of charge so people to have a look at that website um, and spread the word globally absolutely well thank you once again for joining me on the Fear Free Childbirth podcast Amanda thank you very much it's my pleasure Alexia thanks ever so much for inviting me You've just been listening to me, Alexia Leachman, here on the Fear Free Childbirth Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now, this is just a wee reminder that if you'd like to listen to bonus podcast episodes and have access to loads of birth preparation downloads, my video mini-series on reducing your fears and so much more, then join the Fearless Mamaship community today. You can join at fearfreechildbirth.com. Until next time, bye for now.